Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Numbers, if you would, chapter 22, as we move to the curses that bless our ninth message here in Numbers. First, I want to thank you for allowing Dawn and I the opportunity to go back and take care of family and business back in Illinois last week. And thank you to Randy for covering. We also want to thank you for your constant prayers and words of comfort and encouragement. We continue to ask for those. As we start off on curses that bless of Numbers chapter 22, chapter 24, we're going to look at those three chapters. I have a question. With what or with whom have you ever had the strangest conversation with? Have you ever just met someone? Maybe it's on the road or maybe you're just with a coworker. Or you're just having a conversation with someone and you're just like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Or it surprises you because you're speaking and have a conversation with someone you would never have expected to have such deep thoughts with. I think I've had kind of both and I've probably been that person that they probably were surprised with. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker, a neighbor. Someone's like, wow, that was a great conversation. I never expected that to happen. Have you ever been surprised with the great wisdom that came from an unexpected source? From the mouth of babes, we use that phrase in which, wow, listen to what they have to say. It's just kind of wild. Well, two weeks ago in November, in November, in Numbers chapter 21, we read that the Hebrew children were almost ready to enter into the promised land. They're at the end of their journey. They're getting near to it. But after years of wandering, the children of the original Hebrew slaves, they are experiencing victory over their enemies. Finally. However, we saw that in that chapter that not everything was rosy. And like impatient children, they got tired of waiting. They got tired of, of, of walking through the wilderness aimlessly, maybe in their view. And they begin to doubt God and they begin to make a charge against God and Moses. Oh, you're, you're just cosmic child abuse, making us suffer here in the wilderness. In response, Yahweh struck them, as you might remember, with a curse of snakes that bit them. And fiery snakes, that, and they were offering, uh, uh, they were crying out for mercy. <clears throat> God then tells Moses to build, to make a sculpture, this little sculpture of a bronze servant. And the very object of their suffering winds up becoming also the object of their healing. In the same way, we are called to look at the cross, an object of both judgment and condemnation. But yet also we find salvation and healing as we look to Jesus and live. But as we come to chapters 22 through 24, we find that the Hebrew children are now moved to the plains of Moab. They're right outside of the promised land. They're ready to continue their journey to that land that they have been promised. The ESV study Bible describes the events of these three chapters as a witty and amusing tale that makes a very serious point. Namely, that the one true God is on Israel's side, and therefore no human power can prevail 
against them. So with that, let's read the first three chapters of Numbers chapter 22. They will be here on the monitor, but again, I encourage you to take your Bible and follow along with the rest with us. Then the people of Israel, Moses records, set out and they camped along the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan and Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. Father, open up our minds and hearts to your word this morning. Let us speak words that build and edify and, and point towards you. And Father, may we receive that with not only the wisdom that you give, but also with the grace that you give. We'll be eager to hear and to learn. And Father, as your Holy Spirit works within our hearts, Lord, let it marinate deep into our hearts. Let it find good soil. And Father, I pray that it would bear fruit as we respond to the Spirit's work. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in this chapter, Israel is taking a back seat. As Moses introduced two new characters, first, Balak, the king of Moab, and Balaam, the son of Beor. Now, King Balak, fear is understandable, as that is to the people of Moab. They have heard of the stories of the, of the Israelite deliverance from Egypt. They have heard of their wanderings on the desert for 40 years. And now news reaches them of the Israelites' conquest of three powerful kings. And now these very people are on their doorstep. However, the king and the, the king and the people of Moab are actually unaware that Yahweh has already instructed the Hebrew children that they were not to attack to Moab. Moses now recounts this previous instruction in Deuteronomy 2.9, you see it here on the monitor, where the Lord had said to Moses, Do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give any of you or give you any of their land. For a possession, because I have given R to the people of Lot for a possession. Uninformed of this command, they seek deliverance, but not in a surprise tact as it was happened before with his army or peace negotiations, but in hiring Balaam to come and curse the people. Look at verse 4 as we continue in Scripture. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde, speaking of Israel, will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. And they are dwelling opposite me. What's interesting here as you read that, was that not what the ten spies kind of described the, the people of, uh, the, of in Canaan? As they were covered the face of the earth and they were, we were like grasshoppers to them and they were many, but here they are now viewed as that. Now, Balaam was what you and I would call a diviner, one who worshipped false gods and would entreat them for favors on the behalf of anyone who would hire him for money. We might call them witches and warlocks today. Balaam was from an area further north from Moab and had apparently been very successful in the past in doing so. Read silently with me in verse 6. For Balaam, or Balak says to Balaam, Come now, curse 
this people for me. Now, verse 6 is, is, is very pivotal here. He says, come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. I, I can't defeat them, so I, I need you to come and curse them. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. And this is very important. You may want to underline this. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed. And he whom you curse is cursed. I don't know if you saw this, but when you read this, this right here is a setup for a cosmic battle. Similar to what we saw with Elijah and the prophets of Baal centuries later. You see, King Balak wants Balaam to curse the Israelites, hoping that that would allow him to engage them victoriously in battle. Yet what really is in view here is not Moab or King Balaam or Balak, excuse me, versus Israel, but it's really Balaam versus Yahweh. You see, in the last past part of verse 6, he says, For I know, he's speaking in confidence, For I know, Balaam, that who you bless is blessed, and he who you curse is cursed. He is confident. He believes that Balaam has real power. He has it in with the gods. Balaam is a powerful figure to him. He's the one that can make it the, 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 the tipping point, the one that, that will break Israel's back. It's Yahweh versus Balaam. Which side, let me ask you, would you pick? A sad side note is that the people of Moab were distant relatives of the children of Israel. Though they were not the children of Abraham, Abraham excuse me, their forefather was the nephew of Abraham, and Lot knew Yahweh. We won't take time to recount this story and how Moab got to this point. But it's a sad reminder how quickly many forget God and his goodness. If I can just give you just an editorial note, parents and grandparents, you have the privilege and the immense responsibility to share the greatness of the almighty creator to your children and grandchildren. You and I are called to pass down the wonders of God to the next generation. So as we come back, so over 400 years before these events, as we see this cosmic challenge here, you and I must be reminded of the words of King Balak to Balaam, whom you bless is blessed and whom you curse is cursed. You and I have to be remembered of Yahweh's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. You'll see it here on the monitor. The Lord had promised over 400 years ago to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And here's the words of Yahweh, the almighty creator. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, chapter 22 is going to entail the events of King Balaam's attempt to entice Balaam to come and curse Israel, to curse that which God has blessed. However, Yahweh intervenes and he tells Balaam not to come. 
Yahweh had told Balaam in chapter 22, verse 12, if you're following along in your Bibles, you shall not go with them, says Yahweh. You shall not curse the people. Why? For they are blessed. Who are they blessed by? God himself. Yet King Balak, in desperation and fear, does not listen, but offers Balaam more money, more power, and more prestige. And instead of listening to Yahweh's instruction, Balaam finally agrees to go, but declares that he can only pronounce what God tells him. And time is not suffice to share all the inwards of that. But let me share with you, he does not go out of good intentions. But what we see is Yahweh is going to demonstrate both his judgment and sending the angel of the Lord, what I would believe is Jesus himself, to kill Balaam. But he also demonstrates his mercy in giving insight and speech into his animal, to his donkey, to protect him from that angel of death. Interesting chapter. As we go to chapters 23 and 24, it consists of Balaam's four oracles or his four words of blessing and prophecy. Now in the first oracle, as we're looking at chapter 23, Balaam states that Israel could not be cursed and that she was unlike any other nation because she was Yahweh's chosen children. He even states that he wishes that he could himself be a Hebrew child of God, that he could get those blessings. In his second oracle, he reaffirms Yahweh's determination to bless Israel and that he would give her victory over all of his enemies, so it was futile to curse them. The third oracle once again pronounces blessings on Israel and prophesies the Messiah whose kingdom shall be exalted. And we see these oracles because every time that he would begin to curse Israel, he would pronounce a blessing. King Balak would be angry and says, well, now let's go over to a different part and do this over again. But each time, Balaam wound up blessing Israel. Lastly, the fourth oracle predicts the future of a king of Israel whose head would crush the forehead of Moab and exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. Instead of cursing the children of Israel, Balaam blesses them four times, enraging King Balak. In Numbers chapter 24, in the verse, last verse there, 25, we read that Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. Balak did not get his way. Balaam did not get any money. Yahweh wins this battle just as he always wins. It is no contest Though Israel is not at the forefront of this story, it still serves as an example for our instruction. In this case, it's the folly of believing that you and I can thwart God's calling, plan, and purposes for his children. Now, there's three things that I want us to learn from this story of Balaam. Three things that I want us to focus on from the events of these three chapters. And these are very important. Number one, it's here on the monitor. God has a plan for his children. You need to understand that. God had a plan for his children, Israel. They were the children of promise. It was a promise that began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 with the first pronouncement of the gospel. You and I must remember the storyline of Scripture. 
is that there was a creation that God created all things and he put man there as a mediator between him and the rest of the world. But man fell into sin, plunging the whole world into the curse of death. And you and I then have to remember that God's story, the most of of the Old Testament, the New Testament, is the redemption story and the recreation. There is a plan. God is working things according to his counsel. God has a plan for his children, and no one can thwart that plan. This plan included God calling out a people, making them his own children, demonstrating his person and his character through them and sending the Savior of the world through them. This began with the calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 with more promises in chapter 15, 17, and 22 of Genesis. That promise is then reiterated with his son Isaac and then passed to his son Jacob, from whom these 12 tribes of Israel come from that we're reading of today. You see, his plan is to redeem all of humanity through this ragtag group of complainers and rebels. Their story is told here in the Old Testament, leading to the coming of the Messiah, the Savior Jesus Christ of the world in the New Testament, and continues even today. God has a plan for his children. It cannot be thwarted. We need to understand that now you and I are not Israel, but God has also chosen us as his children. We've been grafted on to that tree. He says we too are a holy nation, a peculiar people, and that God has a plan for you and I. And you and I must find comfort and strength in understanding that for that, that, that spiritual truth. God has a plan for his people that cannot be thwarted, changed, or defeated. That's number one. You need to understand God has a plan for his people. Balaam, no matter what his power and his, and his uh, uh, connection with demons, was not going to be able to change what God had ordained. Truth number two. Not only does God have a plan for his children, But we must understand that God's children will always have opposition. And you and I see this throughout scripture. This is not Israel's first opposition. It's not going to be their last. God's children, and you and I understand this as God's children, is that you and I will face opposition for our whole time on this earth. Yes, God is the almighty creator of the universe. But he has ordained and allowed opposition to exist. Now this opposition is personified in the fallen creature that scripture calls Satan and the devil, along with his host of demon followers. Satan is the word for adversary, while the word devil means slanderer or liar. He's a slanderer. He's a liar. He's the adversary of God. Scripture tells us that he first opposed God in the heavens, where he was judged as corrupt and sinful and cast out of heaven. He is then approaches God's mediators on earth, Adam and Eve. He tempts them to join them in his rebellion and opposition to God's calling, plan, and purposes. Scripture informs us of his method of operation, and he commands that you and I are to resist, to fight, and to watch out for his evil devices and schemes. Our first parents, as you and I know, were persuaded to doubt the goodness of God, the truthfulness of his word, and his love for them. 
Their actions plunged the whole world into sin and into the curse of death. Satan continues his opposition today against God, not only as then, but even today, attacking God's children every chance he can. His attacks come from many varied ways, using not only our own passions and desires against us, but also employing other, employing other agents to defeat us, to paralyze us, and to marginalize us in our walk of life. He has used kings, he has used nations, he has used politicians, laws, culture, society, spouses, children, friends, nature, sickness, uh, money, and even demons to oppose us. And many more agents. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 10. In here, we see that Jesus gives a warning to his disciples as he's preparing them for the day when he returns to the Father. Not only does God have a plan for his children, but also they will face opposition. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus lays this out for them. He minces no words. He says, behold, in verse 16 of chapter 10 of Matthew, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Do not be surprised. You are going to face opposition. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they're going to deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. They will drag you before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. In verse 19, when they deliver you over, not if, but when, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you by the Father. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of our Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over death, over to death. Not only that, but listen to this next one. We can't even comprehend this. And the Father will deliver his child. And the children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You and I will face opposition. Sometimes it will come in the face of the personification of a person. Maybe it's through a situation or a circumstance. Maybe it comes through, he, uh, through health. But it's going to come. And God is calling us to be prepared and ready. Not to be defeated by that. God's children will face opposition. In this case, it's by one who has the power to bless and to curse successfully. By the power of demonic gods. But God says, do not worry. You and I can be assured of this one truth. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. I believe I have this on the monitor. Little children, here's the promise from God. You are from God and have overcome them. Would you read this last line with me? For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So God does have a plan for his children. I'm not going to say it's a wonderful plan because how you and I describe wonderful is going to be different than how God may describe it and define it. But best assured that you will have opposition. Do not be surprised. God's children will always have opposition. 
But you and I need to praise God for this next truth. Not only does God have a plan for his children, not only will we face opposition, but number three, you need to understand this as we read here in, 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 in chapter 22 and 24 through 24 of Numbers, that God works all things for his glory and his children's good. God works all things for his glory and his children's good. As we see in this, God takes the power of Balaam and turns his cursings into blessings. He thwarts and defeats Bala, uh, King Balak without, uh, without any stones or, or any weapons raged against him for the moment. But God works all things for his glory and his children's good. It doesn't matter what the opposition throws at us nor how hard they try to thwart God's calling, plan, or purposes for his children. God subjugates all things for our good and his glory. Let me say it again. God subjugates all things for his glory and our good. The children of Israel will face many enemies of God, including their own hearts that betrayed them. Yet through it all, God promises in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse one, uh, verse 1, I believe. I don't believe it's verse 1, but in chapter 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You and I know this portion of scripture. It's a familiar one, but let me tell you, it's been misused in the American church. This is a promise that is not for you and I, but is for the land of Israel, for the children of Israel. This was given to them while they were in captivity. God says, do not despair, Jeremiah. Do not despair, Judah and Samaria and, and Israel of that time. I have not forgotten you. Yes, you will spend 70 years in captivity, but I will bring you home. Your land will be, will be ruled by many other kings and, queen, or kings and nations over the centuries. But do not despair, for I have a plan for your welfare. It's not for evil, and I will give you a future and a hope. Now that promise, as I said, is not for you. However, God has given us today another promise that is just as powerful and encouraging. It's found in Romans 8, 28. It's here on the monitor. You know this. Many of you probably already have it memorized. I pray that you're living it out and that it's encouraging today. Where he says, but know that for those who love God, all things work together for, for whom? For those who are called according to his purpose. Now let me tell you, this right there is the most, one of the most wonderful promises in scripture. But let me tell you, just as that promise in Jeremiah is not for you and I, this promise is not for those who are not children of God. And so I want to proclaim to you, please come and hear as Christ says, come. To you who are thirsty, come and drink. To those of you who are hungry, come and feed at my table. For the God of the universe is reaching out and say, come. Would you come to him? His plan has not faltered and it has not been altered, no matter what the circumstances in your life has been. 
The apostle Paul goes on to write, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we know what his plan for us is, is to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. But we have this promise. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he has what? Glorified. What shall we say to these things, Paul asked. What should you say to the point that God says, I have called you, I have justified you, I will glorify you. It's similar to the words that Moses could sing to King Balak and to Balaam. If God is for us, who can be against us? What great words. You and I must understand this. Is that the opposition of King Balak and and, and Balaam of our day have no effect on the plan of God. You and I can endure whatever the opposition brings against us. So God works all things for our good. You need to understand that. And I know that can be difficult for, for many of you. For many of you have suffered things that I could not have imagined. You have relationships that are torn apart. You have suffered through illnesses and diseases and things that I cannot understand and would not wish on anyone. But yet understand this. It is for your good. I don't know if I can give you any more comfort than that. I don't know on this side of heaven if I could explain all that. And sometimes we need to just stop trying to explain God's plan and his purposes for our lives. We just need to accept it and understand that this wise, good, wonderful, almighty creator of the universe says that this illness, this disease, this trouble in your life is good for you. I don't understand it. We must uh, trust it. Not only does God work all things for our good, but even more important, you you and I need to understand that all things work for his glory, not ours. The prince slays the dragon, wins the girl. I know you're tired of that. But at least you're memorizing it. But why does the dragon, or why does the, why does the prince slay the dragon and wins the girl? Is it because it's about me? Is it about God loves me so much? I, I, I'm the biggest thing in his life? No. It's for his glory. So that God might demonstrate his love, his holiness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his justice, his righteousness, his mercy, his grace, his kindness. These are just to name a few things. God wants to demonstrate and display his glory so that you and I may look and worship him, that he might be the object of our admiration. The psalmist sings in Psalms 86 verse 8, there is a name or there is none like you among the gods, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. That becomes clear even in Numbers 22 through 24. It's not just about a talking donkey. This is about a God who's greater than any God. 
For what he blesses is blessed. And what he curses is cursed. The apostle Peter reminds us, if you're quick enough, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. I referred to this earlier, but he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, speaking of you and I today, those of us that are God's children. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they will speak against you. The opposition will come, but he says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because we went through this a, a year or so ago in 1 Peter. But suffice it to say is that people today, the opposition we hear today that curses us today will one day bless us and glorify God as they are brought to remembrance on the day when Christ comes again and they stand before him whom they denied, cursed, and maligned. So, there's the truth. God has a plan for your life for his children. Opposition will come, but yet all things work for our good and for his glory. So how can we then live that out? How do we apply that? Well, I want to share with you three things and we come to a close. Because of these three truths, because of those three truths, you and I, number one, can trust in the knowledge that God is sovereign and control over all things. You and I must trust in the knowledge that God is sovereign and control of all things. God has a plan. I may not know what the future holds, but God does. I may not know when Christ is returning, but I can trust in the knowledge that he is. I may not understand all that is happening in my life, but I understand that there is one who loves me and wants the good for me. There are no accidents. There is nothing that is greater than God. Number two. You need to be strong and of good courage when you face opposition. It will come. So be strong and of good courage. Don't be surprised when you face trials, temptations, trespasses, and troubles. Let me give you a side note real quickly. Trials, you've heard this from me before, are designed by God to draw us closer to him and to build our character. Temptations are designed by Satan to draw us away from God and destroy our character. Now, now trials and temptations are two sides of one coin. What God intends for good, Satan, or I should say it, what Satan intends for evil, God intends for good. What makes it a trial or a temptation is how you respond to it. Trespasses are the hurts that are caused by the sin of others. You and I, many times, are going to be hurt by the ones who love us. And by the way, here's a, here's a, you know, here's a flash, you know, a news flash. You really can only be hurt by those who truly love you. Right? You know that. That's why they hurt us. But you need to be of good courage when you face that type of opposition. And then troubles are usually, but not always, consequences of our own sinful choices and our own sinful desires. There's a song by the Imperials called Praise the Lord. It says this, When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed, 
by Satan's manifested schemes. And when you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears, and we do, right? Don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. But it's the second note that goes, you and I must realize now Satan is a liar. And he wants to make us think that we are paupers when he himself knows that we're children of the king. So he goes on in the song to say, So lift up the mighty shield of faith, for the battle must be won. We know that Jesus Christ has risen, so the work's already done. Be strong and of good courage when you face opposition. And number third, thirdly, the third application for your life today is you and I need to find comfort and purpose in knowing that God is faithful to his promise for our good and his glory. God will not waste or hurt. All things are part of God's promises. So I'm calling you this morning, trust in the knowledge that God is sovereign and control over all things. Be strong and of good courage in the face of opposition and find comfort and purpose in knowing that God is faithful to his promise. No matter what you're going through, no matter what is take, taking you down in your life, all things work for his good and his glory. As the last word of encouragement and comfort, I would like to share the words of King David that is found in Psalms 56, verses 3 and 4. It's here on the screen, I believe. It says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And God, whose word I praise, and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? We are children of God, and we are in God's hands, even when we're not the focus of the story. Their head bowed and every eye closed as the worship team comes up. I'll let the Spirit do its work. I've given you some applications. The applications may be different for each and every one of you. Maybe I've given one message, but out of the 20, 25 we may have here, you've heard 25 different ways in which the Spirit's working. So I'd ask for you to respond that way, knowing that God has a plan for your life. Opposition will come, but yet all things work to his good and for his glory, for our good and his glory. Would you submit to that this morning? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love for us. I first pray that if there's anyone here that is not a child of God, that you would begin to draw them to yourself. Let them see their need of a savior, not a, a self-made motivator, not a, a self-improvement or self-help, but one who can come and dramatically change their life and be born again. I pray if there's any of that are here, that they would come and let us know. And for the rest, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. For many times, as Israel is not in the focus of this story, they're not even aware that this is going on, but yet God is still working behind the scenes, so to speak. In the same way, God is working in our lives, even when we do not see it. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father. You're just a wonderful father to us, your children. Strengthen, encourage us, give us a greater measure of faith, and give us more of your grace that we may serve you and love you with all that we have. We pray this in Christ's name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close out? I surrender all. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. 
Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.